from John 15, verse 1 to 9. The vine and the branches. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Thanks, Maria. Uh, if you want to turn uh, over further in the New Testament to the book of Colossians, uh, this morning we're going to continue our series uh, there, Colossians chapter 2, starting at verse 16. Uh, in a moment, we're going to read down to chapter 3, verse 4. Before we do, just a, a couple of things. Um, at the end of uh, this week, uh, Tracy and I and the kids, we head off on some annual leave. And uh, so we'll be away for a number of weeks. And during that time, the services are going to be led uh, mostly, I think almost entirely, uh, by RTC lecturers and students. And uh, it was kind of coincidental. That's also who we're taking up offerings for, uh, second offerings for uh, this month. I did wonder whether we should put the offerings after the sermons for the month of March, but I'm not sure whether, what, that, what that would do. So uh, we'll, we'll leave it the way that normally goes. Uh, also, I just want to let you know that Paige Costa is currently seeking sponsorship for a mission trip that she's doing through her school to build a church in Borneo. And so she's got a little bit of a letter of introduction, which she'll hand out to a few people. If you'd like to uh, see about how you can support her in that, uh, this, that she is, with a bunch of others, uh, seeking to raise money for the materials uh, to build a church uh, in Borneo. So if you uh, want to find out a little bit more about that, you can see Paige, or she will approach a few people uh, afterwards as well. All right, we're going to continue reading uh, there from Colossians chapter 2, from verse 16. There we read, Therefore... Uh, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ, the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use, because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Since then, 
you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. It'd be really good to keep your uh, Bible open there uh, at this passage. Let's, uh, let's pray together, shall we? Lord God, we thank you for your word, the Bible. Uh, we thank you that uh, in it we have the word of life. We have the word that speaks of your son, Jesus, and all he is and all he's done for us and all he continues to do in us and through us and in this world. Lord God, we thank you for this passage. We realize that it brings some challenges to understand. So we pray, Lord, that you would grant wisdom and understanding. But we also realize that it brings some challenges to apply. And so, Father, we pray that you would be at work in us by your Spirit. Uh, show us, Lord, how, what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in this world. So we ask this in his name and for your glory. Amen. Now, it seems to be uh, quite popular these days to have how-to guides. Uh, Mr. Google uh, can definitely be your friend, but also your enemy when it comes to how-to guides. Uh, just a couple of examples of, of things that I've used recently on the how-to. Uh, things like how to rid my computer of a virus, um, how to install a new door handle, uh, how to collect coriander seeds. Uh, all of these, Mr. Google, has provided uh, very helpful Sometimes that happens, isn't it? Someone's taken the time and written a very useful how-to guide for us. They've thought about it. They've written it in a way that makes sense. You can understand it. It, it, it kind of follows, and it works. Sometimes, however, those how-to guides are not very helpful at all. It's like they've been translated from Russian to Chinese to Hindi, and finally into English. <laughs> where it still doesn't make an awful lot of sense. Sometimes they're just confusing, things seem to be out of order, and sometimes they are just downright wrong. <laughs> what they are trying to help you to how do doesn't seem to help at all. Now, we've been making our way for the last month through this book of Paul, this letter of Paul, to the Colossian church. And we've seen that the Colossian church has been infiltrated by a thinking that is unhelpful. A how-to which is proving to be wrong. Not a how-to of home improvements or Ikea shelving, but a how-to live as followers of Jesus in this world. How to live in Christ and to grow in Christ. They've had this how-to thinking come to them, but it's been built on the wrong foundation. This how-to is not helping them at all. Now today, we come pretty much to the real guts of the letter to the Colossians. The very centerpiece of it, where Paul is going to explore the how-to of remaining or continuing to live and walk in Christ. The how-to of growth in Christ. You remember back in chapter 2, verse 6? Uh, he says this, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him. Last week, when we looked at the verses following that, we saw the why. <laughs> he built his case. Why are we to continue to live in Christ? 
And today, from chapter uh, 2, verse 16 to 3, verse 4, we're going to look at the how-to. And he's going to do two things. He's going to look at the how-not-to, verses 16 to 23, and the how-to in verses 1 to 4 of chapter 3. And that's basically our structure for this morning. Now, this last week when I went to the gym one day, uh, one of the instructors pulled, pulled me up. Uh, he pulled me up on an exercise that I was doing. He wanted to show me a new way to do it. But the very first thing that he did was he showed me what I was doing wrong, how I was using muscles wrong, technique all wrong, and how what I was doing was not benefiting me uh, one little bit. So before he moves on to the how I should, he, he corrects the what I'm doing wrong. Paul is doing that here in verses 16 to 23. He's made these references to uh, teachings or philosophies that are, that are not based on Christ. Now he's going to unpack them or he's going to take them on head on. He's going to confront what is wrong and in infiltrating the Colossian thinking. And he's going to give two commands and ask one question, which is going to act like a command as well. And each time, he's going to get a little bit stronger. The first thing he says there in 2.16 is, says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you. Don't, he says to the Colossian church, be judged by these people who are seeking to judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. What's happening? There's this teaching that's coming into the church that says, may I ask the question, are you really saved? Are you genuinely a child of God when you don't obey what God has commanded in regards to food and drink and festivals? And so his response to the Colossian church is, do not allow yourselves to be judged by these measures. Don't allow yourselves to be judged by them and bring in this idea that it's Christ plus your obedience to the Jewish law. The second command he gives them is down there in verse 18. He says this. He says, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you from the prize. He's going stronger this time. He's saying, don't, don't just, don't just, not just don't allow yourself to be judged, but don't be disqualified. Don't go as far as thinking that you need more than Jesus to be saved. Don't go thinking that you need to add Jesus, add to Jesus your obedience to the law to live in Christ. Because if you do, you're no longer standing on Christ alone and you are disqualified from the prize. Now, the third thing that, that Paul does here is he doesn't ask a direct question, but he, but he asks a very pointed question there in verse 20. He says, Since you died with Christ, the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? See, some people it would appear, had gone just a little bit further than just being worried about their standing in Christ, that actually adopted Jesus plus. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. They had brought that in to their faith in Christ 
and say, this is what helps me live in Jesus. This is what helps me, enables me to grow in Christ. Now, Paul is being unequivocally clear and strong on this point. Don't do it. Don't go down that line. Don't start by thinking that you're judged. Don't think that you're being put outside the kingdom. Don't adopt these rules to your faith in Jesus. You cannot go down that line. This is not how you continue to live in Christ. This is not how you grow in Christ. You see, there, there has always been, and there still is, a certain element of, of the Christian church and of Christian life that wants to focus on externals. There's a certain part of us that wants to look around us and judge the faith of others by externals that we see. There's a part of the Christian church, there's a part of us often, that wants to put all of our effort into what other people can see around us, the obedience to rules and regulations as the things that make us right with God. I think about some of the things that have been prevalent in the time that I've been in the Christian church and in Christian circles. The things that have been added to Jesus. What you wear to church on a Sunday. You would think by some of the conversations that the denim was weaved by the devil himself, the way it's been talked about. Smoking. But only when we realized how bad smoking was to the human body. <laughs> because I distinctly remember the, stale of stale, the smell of stale smoke <laughs> after session meetings in our house as a kid growing up. <laughs> but all of a sudden, smoking was, was out. It was Christians don't do it. Getting pregnant before you're married. Going to church twice on a Sunday. Going to nightclubs. You, you could probably add a whole list of other things that have been seen as the touchstone, the important thing about Christian life. Now, we do that because behavior is important, isn't it? The way we live as followers of Jesus matters. It's important. Our obedience to God, the way we treat each other, the way we deal with those outside of the kingdom, these things matter. They are important. But they are not where our life with Christ starts. And obedience to these things, does not make or grow a Christian. See, the problem is, with external laws and rules, is what we do is we create a fence around sin. We fence it off and we try to hem it in, but it doesn't stop us from climbing the fence and playing with it. See, the problem, the problem is not what I do. 
The problem is what I love and what I think about. The problem starts with my heart and not my actions. My actions are never going to change the state of my heart. See, throughout this passage, throughout this section, Paul, Paul's giving reasons why not to do this, why not to, not to live in Christ this way. He says there in verse 16 about the, the new, or 17, about the new moon celebration, the Sabbath day, he says, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. They were a shadow, an important shadow, a God-given shadow, but the reality is found in Christ. We have what they were pointing to. We have Jesus. Verse 18. Another reason. People who think this way are delighting in false humility and the worship of angels. Do they think they're worshiping angels? No, Paul's actually being very derogatory here to them. They think they're being so genuine about what they're doing, but it's false humility. It's actually a worship of angels. It's, it's not a following of Jesus. It's not a worship of the, the true God himself. It's something else. He says there that people who think this way, verse 19, have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. These people who think this way, they're not connected to Christ. They're not connected to his body. And so there is no genuine growth. And finally, he says in verse 23, such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. He says they, they can look so good. You know, you, you see somebody who is beating themselves up to, to, to obey. You, you see someone who is, who is strict on themselves and on their body. It, it looks so good. But look at what it says. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Probably the way the NIV translates that is actually a little bit weak. It's probably even stronger than that. All it does is it actually seeks to serve sensual indulgence. It actually makes matters worse. See, imagine imagine if, if, you, if you had a packet of chocolate biscuits in the cupboard. You know the ones. You, you all know I'm talking about Tim Tams. As soon as I say that, you're thinking about Tim Tams. And you know that you should not eat the chocolate biscuit. And so you say to yourself, I will not eat the chocolate biscuit. I will not eat the chocolate biscuit. I will not eat the chocolate biscuit. Over and over again. And what you do is you, you put on the back of the toilet door, don't eat the chocolate biscuit. And you put on the back of your phone or the front of your phone, don't eat the chocolate biscuit. And you put on the remote control for the TV, don't eat the chocolate biscuit. What have you done? You have made yourself think about the chocolate biscuit. That's all you can think about is the chocolate biscuit. It fills your mind. It's all you're thinking about. You're dreaming about it. You can taste the chocolate biscuit. You are wearing yourself down to the chocolate biscuit. Translate that to any, any form of sensual desire. What are we saying to ourselves? Don't do it. Can't do it. Shan't do it. Got to stay away from it. Can't be near it. We end up in our minds going over and over again what we should not be doing. 
We're actually thinking about that thing more than anything else. Paul says it doesn't work. You're just feeding sensual desire when you do that. See, I think this is uh, particularly a struggle for, for us who, who maybe grew up in, in Christ, the Christian church or grew up in Christian families, maybe from a very young age. See, what, what happens is we hear from a very young age about what we should and shouldn't do as Christians. Now, don't get me wrong, there is tremendous blessing and privilege in growing up in a Christian home and a Christian church. It's tremendously a wonderful blessing and encouragement. But we hear from pastors and parents and youth leaders and Sunday school leaders what we should and shouldn't do. And we grow up with consciences that are very attuned to what is right and wrong. But sometimes with very little ability to be able to live right lives because we have a focus that is on what we should and shouldn't do. We put boundaries in place and we try to be held accountable or we let the guilt just grow and grow and grow and grow and grow until it sort of forces us to do the right thing. But it doesn't work. That's not because boundaries are, are wrong. They're great. Boundaries are helpful. Accountability is wonderful. God can, use, God can use guilt. But when we're relying on those things to shape our behavior, it doesn't work. You see, what Paul is doing here is he works this down, as he, he points this down, as he's, he's getting us ready for the alternative. He's getting us ready not to fixate on what is right and wrong, not to fixate on the behavior, but to fix our lives on Christ. See, already he's hinted at this in what we read before in verse 19. Already he's kind, of, he's kind of steering us in the right direction. He tells us there in verse 19 that, you know, the connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. He's already hinting there that growth comes from being connected to the head. It comes from being connected to Christ. And growth is something that God himself gives to us. He's pointing us in a particular direction. Now, when we get to chapter 3, verse 1, he opens it up and he lays it out plainly. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Notice the progression as we make our way through that. Past, present, future. Past, you died and were raised with Christ. We saw this last week. We were a part of Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. We have a brand new life with a brand new heart. In the present, our life is being hidden with Christ in God. Now we are under God's care and protection. We are, our lives are lived under him, under his watchful eye, under his sheltering wing. And future, when Christ appears, we will appear with him in glory. Past, present, and future is all about 
Jesus. It's all about Christ. It's all about being a part of what he has done and is doing in this world in ushering in a new age, in ushering in a new kingdom. We came to live in that new kingdom when Christ died and was buried and rose again. We belong to a new kingdom from that moment. We belong to Christ's new kingdom now, even though our lives may be hidden, even though it may not be obvious to everybody else, even though we might struggle to see it sometimes. But when Christ returns and that new kingdom is ushered in in completeness, then our new lives will appear with him in perfection. What's he saying? He's saying we belong to the new age and the new kingdom. And that's how we are to live. And we do that with hearts and minds that are fixed on things above. Now that phrase, things above, that, that's not sort of this airy-fairy concept of what heaven's like. This is not saying spend a bunch of time pondering eternity or dreaming about what might be to come. It's very clear when it says things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, isn't it? <laughs> you know, the things above it's talking about is Christ. Christ and his work. Christ at the right hand of God. That's where we're to fix our heart and our mind. What does it mean by talking about fixing our heart on things above? It's saying have your passions, your desires, your ambitions, your dreams fixed on Christ. Have your love your devotion, your everything fixed on Christ. Have Christ's power and his greatness and his mercy and his love and his tenderness and his care. Have that fill your heart. Have that overwhelm your heart so that Christ becomes the one whom you love, whom you desire, whom you long for. What about our mind? Saying, have your minds filled with the knowledge of Christ. Have your minds think on Christ. Know him and his work that he's done more deeply and more intimately. Have it shape the way that you think. So you're, you're, you're thinking Christ-like thoughts. So that you're thinking about things in a, in a Christ-like way. Have your minds filled with Christ so that all other thoughts are put in perspective, are put behind Christ as first in your life. Because from our hearts and our minds flows behavior. And flows actions. God works in us by his Holy Spirit. As we fix our hearts and our minds on Christ. To renew and transform our lives. 
Change us from the inside so that it flows out into the way that we live. If the other way was the way of caging sin, caging desires, this is the way of Christ putting them to death. It starts on a completely new foundation with lives that are fixated, fixed on Christ in heart and in mind. Now this is the part where I'm, we're going to say, read your Bible. But let me, let, me, let me show why and how. When we're thinking about rules and regulations, we open up the Bible, and I've done this so many times. Lord God, show me what to do. Right? I open up the Bible because I want to see a way that God wants me to live today or sometimes how he wants other people to live today. And so we read it and we say, yeah, not doing so well on that. He's doing much worse and she's just awful at it. And we go away and we think, I'm going to do this today. This is what I'm going to, this is what, this is how I'm going to be different today. This says, open up the Bible and desire to know Christ more. Desire to know him deeper. To grow in my appreciation for his amazing love and his tremendous power and his absolutely incredible mercy on me, a sinner. Desiring to have a heart and a mind that is fixed on Christ. When we do that, we're going to read things that we should do as followers of Jesus. And we will be convicted of sin. We will feel guilty for the things that we are not doing that we should do and the things that we should be doing and we're not doing. That will happen. But the desire to obey will flow out of a deep thankfulness and gratitude for Christ. It'll flow out of a heart and a mind that is fixed on Him, is living in Him. It'll be done in the power of His Holy Spirit, which lives in us. Let's go back to chapter 2, verse 6 for a moment. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Set your hearts on things above. Set your minds on things above. Be fixed on Christ. Have him be the one that works in your life, and it changes you, and it changes your attitude. And let your work overflow in thankfulness for what he's done for us. Some of us here are probably doing really, really well at this. Some of us here are, are probably have hearts and minds that are fixed on Christ Experience his work in our lives and his, his power within us. Can I just encourage you? Just keep going. 
keep, keep going on in Christ. Don't, don't become proud. Don't become complacent. Just keep fixed. Heart and mind on Christ. Keep going. Some of us here are probably doing this, who are doing this, but yet are still really struggling to see the fruit and to see the results. All we see is the sin that remains and the things that are not undone. Can I encourage you, don't take your eyes off Jesus. Don't, don't try another method or another way. Don't, don't try and bring law obedience into that. Keep your heart and your mind fixed on Christ. God gives the growth as we're connected to him. Sometimes our life is hidden with Christ and God, yet to be revealed. Keep patiently waiting for his work to be completed in you. Keep eyes and hearts and minds fixed on Christ. Some of us here are building on a wrong foundation. Some of us here are trying to live in Christ by just obeying rules. We're setting ourselves up to fail. We're feeding indulgence because only Christ can crucify it. Can I invite you, can I encourage you to start turning your eyes your heart, and your mind to Christ. Changes will come and they will need to come. But they will come as Christ by his spirit works in us. There's no shortcut to growth. There's no how to do it alone to Christianity. Fix your heart and your mind on Christ. Our God, our Savior, and our King. Let's pray to him now. Lord God, we realize that there's a great allure to shortcuts to remaining in you and growing in you by our own effort we like to think that there's something that we can do and add but Lord God there's, uh, there's no way that's going to work thank you for Jesus his work in the past and his work in the present. Thank you for your presence by the Holy Spirit and your power and your work within us through him. Lord God, build us as a church that knows and loves Jesus. Cause our hearts and our minds to be fixed on things above, not on earthly things. Work powerfully within us, we ask.
for your glory, for your name's sake. We ask this. Amen.